3: Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. This is where Chicago goes to talk Bears. Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago's home for Bears fans. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The
4: score. Score!
3: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and Odyssey Station.
5: Happy Friday, everybody. Hopefully you guys are doing good. We are live and local, broadcasting from the Hyundai studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron, And let's go ahead and start the show like we always do, ladies and gentlemen, with the trifecta. Curry, way downtown. Bang!
3: Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Three. That's the magic number. Morell going to third. He will slide. He's got it's a triple. The magic number. Trying to get somewhere somewhere it's a away.
6: Trifecta is
5: exactly what it says it is. The top three stories for myself and Anthony Heron. We discussed them quickly, but you guys get to know what's on the top of our minds. So let's go ahead and start with number three. The
4: number of the day is three.
5: The Chicago Driven. Cubs have won their fourth straight. I can't believe that! I literally can't believe it as I'm saying that. Defeating the Brewers eight to seven at Wrigley Field. Keegan Thompson only went three and two but the bullpen, but the bullpen came through for the t- at the tail end of the game. Rucker later and Hughes shutting down the Brewers in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Hughes picking up a second save in as many nights. That's pretty impressive as well. And initially, you thought. This is going to be a long game after Andrew McCutcheon made a statement early.
3: It's driven toward deep left center trouble all the way back, and that's a home run for McCutcheon. A line drive to the seats in left center, and Milwaukee has taken a quick 2-0 lead here in the top of the first inning.
5: That is until the Franimal, as they're calling him, Framil Reyes ended up coming up to the plate in the (laughs) bottom of the inning and handling business.
3: Cubs trail 2-1. From Neil Reyes, it's a high fly ball. Deep right center, back toward the wall. It's off the fence. Bouncing halfway back to the infield. The big man lumbering toward third. He's got a triple. Ball game tied, 2-2. Two to two.
5: I love it. Game was tied at 2-2 two to two there. Also tied at 5 in the fifth. That is until another gamer, Patrick Wisdom, headed up to
2: the plate. Ashby deals, Wisdom swings, hits one in the air Deep center field, going back Taylor He looks up, it's gone Cubs retake the lead A two-run home run by Patrick Wisdom Makes it 6-5 to Cubs here in the fifth
5: It was a top-to-turvy game Cubs didn't have the lead for long in the bottom half of the sixth The Brewers end up taking the lead 7-6, but you know what? If you're going to go on a four-game win streak and you're going to have fun in your dugout, it needs to be a team effort, and that team includes Christopher Morrell.
3: 1-2, drilled in the air, deep left field. If it's fair, it's going to leave the yard. Cubs take the lead. Christopher Morrell, a two-run homer.
5: Cubs lead 8-7. Anthony, why do, I, why do I like this Cubs team?
4: I, I, I'm slowly starting to like them a lot more every day. I mean, they're playing good baseball. But it certainly starts with that, man. And the fact that we're really just getting to know a lot of these dudes out there making plays. I mean, you know, Christopher Morrell obviously burst onto the scene when he initially got called up. Flattened out for a little while. Now it's fun to see him still making plays. The, the question mark that surrounds Patrick Wisdom as far as whether or not he's too old to be a centerpiece of the future. How fun is he? Will this fun continue? Is it only fun because he's able to hit bombs on a bad team? So <laughs> you know, that athleticism, there's enough newness and question marks to do this on this roster where you know it, it, it allows a level of fun like we were talking about last night. Because the expectations are low, to watch them actually play quality baseball right now, it's this pleasant surprise that we get in the thick of the summer.
3: Finally, we come to my number two man. His name,
5: number two. Speaking of having fun, the Chicago White Sox are trying to do just that. They signed Elvis Andrews, 33-year-old Venezuelan shortstop. You know, when you look at him and what he could bring to the team, career average of 270. But he's only hit that once Aunt, in the last five years at the end of a season, 271. So clearly he had a success early on. But he is a base stealer. Can get you a walk if need be. I thought this stat was interesting. When he came up to the plate and uh, with a double play opportunity, so a guy on first or second, or first and second, 1,100 times, 1,147 times he came to the plate. Only 185 times did he
4: ground into a double play. 16% of the time. Do you feel like that's high? I mean, I think that because of what he brings to the table and the need for a shortstop as, as much as anything man i mean the whatever he can add especially defensively where the team has struggled so much i think to you know anything he adds at the plate is cool but as long as he can play like a competent shortstop and then give you timely hitting which he's been able to show throughout his career the fact that the the Lineup the offense has shown a little bit more life. I don't even think we need to overestimate how much yeah. is needed from Elvis Andrews actually at the plate offensively. He said it himself. He's he's going to enjoy playing in meaningful
5: games. You referenced his fielding. He's at uh, nine seventy three and feeling a little bit better than Tim Anderson, but we've seen his, his struggles before. But it mm. is going to be good to have at least this guy be the stopgap, be the yeah. band aid for the time being to have a guy like Elvis Andrews. And it just from a, from the fan base standpoint. You just say to yourself, okay, we're being proactive. We're doing something. We're not just staying pat and and, and patting ourselves on the back with the moves that we made in the offseason. But Elvis Andrews, of course, coming to the south side, we'll be seeing him soon. Driven
2: in the center field. D.K. Hernandez is back. He's at the wall. And that baby is gone.
0: He was number one.
5: The number one story for the trifecta today, of course, is that the Bears are undefeated. I won't be able to say that too many times throughout the year and probably (laughs) never again. So I felt like it was important for me to say that at the very beginning for the number one story of the trifecta, that the Bears are undefeated. They knocked off the Seattle Seahawks yesterday, 27-11. to And, I mean, there were some good things that that we were able to see from that whole thing. And, I mean, uh, here's Justin Fields talking about uh, his first drive of the game.
0: Felt pretty good. Um, Yeah, felt pretty good. Felt good getting – points on. Of course we won seven that first try but um just glad we got points on the board first try.
5: And then people know that he loves Darnell Mooney. They have that, the, the man crush on each other. But it seems like th- there's somebody that's trying to be his side chick. Somebody that's trying to steal some love from Darnell.
3: Second and six for Fields and company. Under center takes turns. Play fake. Sets up on the roll. Gonna fire the slot left. Cut! Colt come at 30. 25. And rambles down near the 21 yard line of Seattle. <laughs> you heard the yell yes. into Little Z's Parabolic, 19 yards and a first down for CK85. Bears go three wide slot left and Cole Komet jogs from the left side of the line to the right, snap out of the gun, they pull the play fake to Herbert, going to toss a tight end screen, caught right side of the 30. Komet breaks a tackle and then rumbles across the 40 for a first down with the Bears to the 42-yard line.
5: Three, that's the magic number. That is the trifecta. It is. Totally, completely, thunder. and in its full entirety. I'm Gabriel, Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We're live and local all the way till 9 o'clock. And, and I, I have a specific question about that Bears game. And just to step back a second, obviously I was right. talking about Cole Komet, you know, getting a little love in that first quarter. It seemed like it was mm. it was being targeted a lot. But, but, but I have different questions about the Bears. And, and the first one I have specifically is about this game. And you were the number one person I was thinking about as it finished and I got to watch it back again. I, I like most Bears fans, and I open up the box score immediately. I want to see who stands out. I want to okay. see is there someone that maybe I should be paying attention to, maybe their names at the, at the top of the tackles list two or three games in a row or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of targets, whatever that might be. What are coaches looking at after a preseason
4: game? Because I'm looking at the stat sheet, but are they? No. No, it's definitely not the first thing they look at. You know, I mean, you're – going to try to evaluate it snap by snap with just how you feel like your individual players perform each position coach will be kind of checking that as you're getting throughout the game but i mean they'll look at the stat sheet at some point eventually but it's definitely not going to be the first thing they end up looking at so for a game like last night you know you and i were on the air throughout the the bulk of the game so yeah i did the same thing kind of you know had it on on the side while we were doing our show and then watched it back after we got done and took some notes throughout and everything but the way the coaches end up evaluating it is like you always hear head coaches talk about, and so it sounds like coach speak when they reference going back and evaluating the film, got to go check the tape, got to really, you know, I can give you a more detailed answer after we go back and break things down because the stats can give you a, a false impression, whether positively or negatively, of how things actually went out there. But I think overall, if you're watching the way Justin Fields has played through two games, there's nothing special about the numbers, the stats through two preseason games, but watching him snap by snap, Luke Getze is looking at it. Matt Eberflus is looking at him, just wondering, is he in command of the situation? Does he look like he knows exactly where he should go with the football? Does it look like he knows what the defense is throwing at him? And from that perspective, he doesn't look overmatched. Now, it's the preseason, so he's not seeing a lot of exotics out there, and he's certainly not seeing the opponent's best personnel on a regular basis in the limited snaps. I mean, he hadn't even played – 30 snaps, you know, through two games yet at this point. So, in theory, you're starting quarterback, first year in the system, but second year in the league, he shouldn't be mentally overmatched. But there is a calm to the way that Justin Fields is playing right now. It's imperfect. Luke he's even talked about coming off that first game, like whether or not Justin Fields perhaps went through, you know, kind of came off the first read too quickly, maybe looked to run a little bit too quickly on a snap or two. I think in the end, though, especially when you don't necessarily have that faith in the offensive line up front. If I'm Luke Getze, I'm encouraging him. If, if it doesn't feel good, then allow yourself to take off. Allow yourself to run. I think with certain athletic quarterbacks, you wouldn't necessarily want to encourage that, but with Justin Fields, and i talked to you about this a lot last season, Gabe, where he's wired in a way where even though he's an elite athlete, he's not necessarily a guy who looks To run, you really you're you're better off calling Justin Fields into running, calling Justin Fields into pocket movement, because from a designed perspective, that's where it's more comfortable for him. He's not a guy who really hopes to run the football or hopes to sort of ad lib beyond the X's and O's of the play. But when you actually call him into it, that's more the comfort zone for him between bootlegs, maybe the occasional QB lead, some read option type of stuff, and you call him into running situations, that's more the comfort zone because in, in a perfect well, he would prefer to carve you up from the pocket. He yeah. just happens to be an elite athlete while he's back there. You would think that he would be the guy that, that would that would leave the pocket early
5: or make the decision to, to tuck the ball and run. But you watch his game, and I think you're absolutely right. What do you think Justin Fields – I mean, in radio – if we use the same word over and over again, they call it a crutch. Mm-hmm. In football, right. I'm, I'm curious what that might be for a quarterback like Justin Fields, and what do you think is Justin Fields' crutch? Is it, a, is, it, is it is it is it is it Darnell Mooney? Like he throws it too much. Darnell Mooney is a fault <laughs> to a fault. Like, like what is something that you could look at and be like, you know what? It's this, Gabe.
4: My hope is that he has a weapon who's reliable enough to truly develop as a crutch. You know, where, where you just feel like he can deliver it to that individual in a you know in, in an awful circumstance. Like where Mitch Trubisky ended up kind of developing that with Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson had really good numbers for a couple of years there, even while Mitch was playing poor at quarterback and the offensive system was bad. But in the end, there was an understanding that Mitch could throw it up to Allen Robinson and a play was going to get made there, even if it didn't go, for, didn't go for a touchdown. But maybe we got a shot at a first down. Yeah. We got a shot to gain some yardage. That's what you do end up hoping. That's what you know. The better QB wide receiver combinations in the league are capable of doing. You know, is that going to be Darnell Mooney? He'll certainly, assuming health, be the most targeted receiver here. How much success? How much productivity does that lead to? I think in the end, Mooney will likely become that, that sort of you know crutch for Justin Fields. But I think from a what about I think just from an execution perspective, right? He's wired as a big game hunter. And to me, the, the deep ball, the strike play, seeking out those opportunities, he talked to Gross, like Rody was telling us last night when he had his one-on-one with Justin Fields after the first game, the home opener of the preseason, where Justin's trying to, you know, walk that line of kind of throttling that back a little bit and not seeking the special pass on a frequent basis. But he knows he's really capable of that, and he did it so much in college and had a few of those moments last season where, if anything, I, I would maybe determine a crutch. One thing I want to see him get out of his game is that he he tends to escape laterally. And through two preseason games, I do feel like I'm seeing him work on refining, you know, what we talk about as, as a, being a vertical climber of the pocket, moving forward into the pocket and sometimes into pressure, but that allows you to stay within the true progression, you know, of the route. And maybe you'll get busted in the chops when you do it, but wherever the receivers are breaking their route off at, you can hit those spots more effectively as you climb the pocket vertically as opposed to when you start to extend the play. And Justin Fields, his habit, certainly throughout college and in his rookie season, was to try and escape laterally, to outrun the defense to the side and get into a scramble drill sort of mode, which can be okay. But when you are trying to be that that pocket pass and when you are trying to stay within the confines of the design of the play, you need to be in the habit of climbing vertically. So I'd say if there's a, a crutch that he needs to continue working at. It's to not run laterally so frequently or so quickly. But I think from a a positive perspective, the crutch that's there that he's really good at is that deep ball, is that strike play. And you just hope that he's going to be able to develop a a chemistry with, whether it's a Darnell Mooney, perhaps one of these other receivers. We saw some moments with Tajay Sharp in the first game. Maybe Cole Komet, which I I don't know that Cole Komet is going to separate from guys enough to be that. But someone Who's a pass catcher where you say that's that's someone who we see him frequently connecting with on deeper passes we get the opportunity
5: to ask the very same question to Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun Times I'm curious what what he feels are some things that just he's seen Justin do that that could be considered a crutch because I, I agree with you the deep ball ant it is just that you see him wanting to make that play but the reality is he doesn't have that extra half a second that he mm-hmm. had in college. As you mentioned, moving laterally. As you go to release that deep ball, you need your entire body to throw that. But in the NFL and with the Bears' offensive line, it just <laughs> seems as though you, you need the extra half second. Or if not, you're getting crushed as you're throwing the ball and it could turn yeah. into an interception. But again, we're, we're going to talk to Patrick Finley, see what he has to say about not only Justin Fields, but the entire Bears team, as the start of the season is just a bit closer. We'll
1: do that.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
5: Right on the other side, I'm Gabriel Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The score.
3: Shotgun draw. With eight seconds to go, the Seahawks pick up a first down on a run. I guess this is continuing evaluation. Every snap matters, I guess, in the preseason for these guys. But that's the last one we'll see tonight in Seattle. Clock goes to zero. Bears get the win here in Seattle,
5: 27-11. Sometimes as a Bears fan, you just take any victory you can get. Preseason, hell, they could have did a 40-yard dash against the other team, and I would have celebrated that. <laughs> it's Anthony Heron, Gabe Ramirez. Do something to claim a dub. Listen, that's all. it's tough, man. It's tough. Anthony, it is tough being a Chicago Bears fan. Hey, man, it's hard out here in these NFL fanatic streets. It is. I got to go to other cities and wear Bears gear for them to mock me and just point at me and laugh. Mm. Oh, the Bears. (laughs) 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 That's got to be tough watching them. You know, bro, let me show you my Chicago attitude right now. (laughs) Let's let's just move on. (laughs) But you know what, though? We have some things to celebrate, and that's why it's good to talk about the Bears while they do put you in a good mood and to put us in an even better mood joining us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. We have none other than Pat Finley joining the show. What's up, Pat?
6: You guys are getting preemptively mad, like, in advance for, like, what, mid-October? Where, where's aren't this you, anger coming aren't from, guys? You,
5: aren't you just always mad as a Bears fan, Pat? Isn't that just what's <laughs> supposed to happen? You're just an angry, you know, guy out here. What, but there are some things to like, though, Pat. I mean, y- yesterday – you know, I felt like they did what they were supposed to do, right? Play with some high energy, be better than the team, even in the preseason. You still expect them to beat a team like Seattle who's just trying to figure out their identity. What would you say is, I, I ask these questions when people go on vacation, but I'll ask this to you after this Bears game. High Highlight, low light for you with this game?
6: Well, the, the highlight for me is, probably the play-action uh, naked bootleg that Justin Fields ran and then completed a 19-yard pass to Cole Komet. I, I don't want to make too big of a deal out or of a preseason play, but that's what the offense is supposed to look like, guys. Like That's what we've been begging for for over a year now, is you know, get him out on the run, you know give him some time to throw, which he did not have a lot of the time last night, but he did on that one play. And then find, you know, we had Darnell Mooney, In the left uh, slot, or I'm sorry, in the left flat, and then he had Cole Komet running a little over route. Uh, Komet was open. I think Komet's gonna be a really important part of this offense, and I think it's because of plays like that. So that is the highlight to me. That is what the Bears' offense should look like a play like that. In terms of the low light, you you wish that they'd do more than score a field goal in Justin Fields' four Mm -hmm. possessions uh, so Mm -hmm. far. This preseason, you know, obviously getting three points yesterday was better than the zero points he got playing a little more than a quarter of the week before. But you just wish that there was some explosiveness there that uh, could build some confidence, not only for him, but for the bunch of receivers and tight ends that he's going to have to be throwing to a lot of whom have not had success in the NFL either ever or in a long time.
4: Confidence, continuity, just overall repetition, you know, in a new offense with new teammates they haven't worked at before. And, you know, like you referenced, the starting offense ends up getting less than 20 snaps, a little over a quarter in preseason game number one. Then last night they get what? Less than well, get one series, essentially. And now we're not completely sure what to expect for game number three. It seems to me that they could use it, though. They could use a little bit of extended work. It felt like Matt Iberflus kind of alluded to that, that they were kind of going to sort of ramp up sort of a game week prep. Did he indicate whether or not that would actually mean there would be more work on game day itself for preseason game number three?
6: I've asked him that very question the last two times we've gotten together and both times he's uh, politely (laughs) told me he wasn't going to tell me, Uh, including last night. He said he was going to meet with the coaching staff today and begin to start planning that out. He did say that Brown's week will be like a regular week, which means that, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practice, you know, each one will focus on a different thing. It'll be the routine that the Bears get into, of course, because it's a Saturday game. It'll be a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practice, I guess, but it'll feel like the real deal. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get some nominal playing time just you know, so you can see how they prepare one more time, so you can see how uh, serious they are going into the game, and then you take them out. I don't see any reason in these preseason games to expose the few starts that the Bears do have or the few potential starts that they have to injury. I mean, <laughs> this offseason, guys. So far, we've had Roquan Smith demand a trade. We've had Kevin Jenkins uh, be gone for a week and then move positions. Uh, you know, the last thing the Bears need is another crisis. And Justin Fields getting hurt in a meaningless game in Cleveland would absolutely qualify as a crisis.
5: We're talking to Pat Finley right here on 670 The Score. It's Gabe Ramirez and Anthony Heron. Let me ask you specifically, because you mentioned your distaste for those first few drives and the lack of points they produced, what would you like this Bears offense to look like <laughs> as the season is on, is on, on the heels right now?
6: I wrote this today. Here's what I think we know about Justin Fields today. I think we know that he throws a really good deep ball. You know, that's something that he's done, you know, dating back to Ohio State, one of the things he's really good at. And I think we know that he's got otherworldly speed and a pretty good knack for scrambling. Now, there's a lot of real estate between a good running quarterback and a guy who can throw the ball 40 yards deep. You need that intermediate stuff. And that's why I was so excited with that first possession Uh, yesterday because you know you had a tight end screen you had a bubble screen to darnell mooney you had uh the play action another play action as a train goes past me guys i'm sorry um (laughs) there's there's there was a lot of intermediate stuff there that worked and i think with field at least last year intermediate work was the biggest challenge for him so that's what I want their offense to look like. I want, I think it's going to be run based big time. I think that, uh, Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery are both going to get a lot of carries. If I were in a fantasy league, I'd try and pick up Khalil Herbert late and, and uh, reap the rewards later. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of running and I think there's going to be a lot of play action. Uh, and, you know, you know, we're going to see fields go deep. We're going to see them run in the same way we did last year, but they've got to be able to do that intermediate stuff well.
4: Is Tevin Jenkins one of the five best offensive linemen?
6: Oh, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, That's tough. Michael Schofield didn't impress me in his preseason game number one. Uh, In in terms of game two, I imagine that there's probably nothing he could have showed them one way or the other that would have made too big of a difference. So in that case, I completely agree with them giving Jenkins a chance to play and play a lot. I don't know when the season rolls around whether Tevin Jenkins is somebody they can trust at right guard. I mean, they put him there Monday, and on a Thursday night on national television, <laughs> he's playing. Like, I, that's, that's not good. I, I, I mean, I, I give credit to the kid for rolling with it and for, you know, uh, you know not, not complaining, not being difficult, and for, and for, I think, putting together an okay game last night. Uh, I give him credit for that. But, boy, you know, coaches always talk about putting players in a position to succeed. And making somebody play a position they've never played before uh, for the first time on a Monday and then putting them on ESPN on a Thursday night, I don't think that's a position to succeed. I, I think that Riley Reef is uh, the right tackle, and I think that they're just doing him a solid by not really making him play in these preseason games. I think Larry Borm could be a really good swing tackle playing both that left and right side. Uh, the only question there becomes right guard. And, and another question I have, too, is, you know, Lucas Patrick has been out, you know, with an injury – and that forced Sam Mustafer over to center there was a time when Mustafer was splitting starting snaps at right guard you know I don't think they would move him back there because I think that there are other options are probably better but you know there's a chance I mean Mustafer might be a contender at that position too once Patrick gets back uh, you would hope that Kevin Jenkins would be one of their best five because if he's not then why in the world did the previous regime draft him in the second <laughs> round last year and Wait. trade up to, and trade up to do it like, you, like, the pedigree is there, and you hope the talent is there. Uh, I don't know three weeks and two days before the season starts. I'd, I'm not sure that I can say with a straight face that he's one of their best five right now. That could change. I mean, I, again, it's been, you know, four days at that position. If you give him another three weeks, maybe, maybe he looks the part by the time the 49ers come to town on September 11th. Patrick, the
5: thing is, whenever a professional comes in to, like, evaluate something that's already been done, they always crap on it, right? If it's a plumber, they're like, oh, they should have put this over here. You know, as a contract, oh, why did they do this? And I think the same thing's holding true for this Tevin Jenkins situation where Ryan Poles is saying, he's like, oh, uh, you know what? They got it all wrong. You should be you should be over here at the guard position. This is where we are going to thrive, and, and we we have confidence that you're going to be able to do so. It's it's interesting. It's definitely interesting to watch, and it's going to be interesting to play out. Of course, we're talking to Pat Finley right here on 670, The Score. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron. I want to talk about the NFC North for a little bit because – I, I think not a lot. I mean, people have are mentioning it, but not a lot of people are talking about the fact that you know, obviously, with Devontae Adams gone, are the how much of a step back, if any, do we feel like the Green Bay Packers are going to take? Are they going to be they're not going to be living in mediocrity because they got Aaron Rodgers? But I'm curious about what you think specifically, Pat, about their team and and what it's going to look like this upcoming
6: season. Uh, the question for you guys: statistically, which receivers room is worse, the Bears or the Packers right now? Oh. The answer is, if you look at their career numbers, the Packers are worse than the Bears in mm. their receiving him right now. Now they have Aaron Rodgers, so I'm not uh. saying that they're going to be worse because I don't think they will be. Uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of unknowns there, and, and what you have to worry about with Rodgers, given you know the way, given his behavior, quite frankly, over the last couple of years, is if he loses faith in any of these guys, he's never hesitated to kind of ice them out. And you know, if he's only got five or six of those guys. The deal is uh, there may be a lot of guys in the doghouse uh, by the time they get to midseason. I wouldn't bet against the Packers. uh, Just as a rule, I've seen them beat everybody so frequently. I think Aaron Rodgers is the best player I've ever seen with my own two eyes in the NFL. Uh, I am not betting against them at all. But, you know, but he doesn't have any proven pass catchers, really. And uh, that's an unusual spot even for him.
4: With that in mind, then, what does what success really look like for the Bears this season in a division that, you know, everyone just, we, we all just sort of veer towards Green Bay because they have Aaron Rodgers, but there, there doesn't necessarily seem to be this chasmous kind of, you know, separation in personnel overall, whether you're talking Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit, what have you. So what, what does a successful season look like for the Bears in this division?
6: You know, I've had a couple of friends start texting me me about the Lions because of hard knocks, and I'm not ready to live in a world where America thinks the Lions are going to be good. I'm just not – what 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 does it look like for the Bears? I I think in one sentence what it looks like is they are competent enough to get an accurate evaluation of their quarterback, full stop. And if that is – if that means that Justin Fields proves himself to be – You know, the quarterback of the future and of the present here, I think that's the best possible news for them. Uh, And I I think if he proves that he's not, uh, I think that's at least an answer. And that's an answer that they're going to need, because if they're as bad as I suspect they're going to be, they're going to pick in the top five, and they're going to have a chance to draft a quarterback if they've decided that Fields isn't for them. I believe Fields is, but I also believe that, you know, regardless of how much talent you have, you have to be in a good situation and I'm not sure any of us can say right now that the Bears are putting him in a good situation. You look at, you know, the offensive line troubles that we've talked about. You look at the receivers that he has and the fact that even, you know, the likes of Byron Pringle and Bayless Jones have been out for a while. Jones came back last night. Um, but, you know, there's, he's not getting a lot of work with, you know, probably half his starting receiver core right now. And I suspect they're going to add one or two more, you know, around cut day or be a trade or whatever. In that case, Justin's going to have to get instant rapport with them. Uh, that's a tough situation to put any quarterback in, much less a young one. So, to me, uh, success is figuring out what you've got in your quarterback. Now, what I've seen so far this preseason, I think, is encouraging. I think that the Bears try hard and they, and they play hard. And not to get too Pollyanna-ish about it, but, but I think that's a lot better than the alternative. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a way to establish a culture This season, even if you're not going to win a ton of games, that may prove fruitful in the coming years. But, you know, it's all about the quarterback right now. And, you know, I don't have any illusions that the Bears are going to make the playoffs or be 500 or anything like that. Uh, But, you know, I think they need to get a look at the quarterback and figure out exactly what he can do for them in the next couple of years.
4: And we, we see situations in Miami with the Dolphins, in New York with the Giants, with quarterbacks who've been in the league longer than Justin Fields has, where there's still this question mark surrounding Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Daniel Jones and whether or not those franchises who took quarterbacks early in the draft, and they still don't know if they want to invest in that guy long term, but especially in Miami, we've now seen them start to spend and surround Tua with some additional talent. So I'm wondering, is that a a plausible occurrence here in Chicago? Because there is a lot of talk about, all right, it's year two, the Bears need to know something about Justin Fields, but there are a couple of examples around the league where teams four and five years in with QB still don't quite know yet.
6: I'd argue to you that, you know, reading between the lines on the whole Tom Brady tampering thing, I think the Dolphins do know what they have in there, <laughs> <laughs> and I think they and I think they That's knew fair. enough to try and go to go try and get a new quarterback. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, if a couple of years in, at what point? At, at what point is it we don't know, and at what point is, is it it's, it's not there or we don't see it? You know, I, I'd argue that Mitch Trubisky, you know, I think everybody was, at, at Halas Hall was still squinting really hard to see what they wanted to mm-hmm. see out of Mitch Trubisky in year three, uh, and by year four it was pretty evident that it wasn't there. Uh, you're right. I mean, if Fields doesn't – if they don't have an answer on Fields by the end of the season, that doesn't doom him – uh, to you know a terrible pro career or anything like that. A lot of quarterbacks have shown up in year three, but I think in general it's a pretty good rule of thumb that that if he's special, we're gonna we're gonna know. <laughs> we got to we got to know pretty quick. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the the Giants. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, these are situations that have had coaching changes. These are situations that probably didn't always put their quarterbacks in a good position in the last couple of years. They're great examples of, you know, when I talk about you got to put them in position to succeed. you got to surround them with people who can help your quarterback. I don't think they've done a very good job of that in recent years. You know now maybe the Giants by bringing in the new coach and the Dolphins by bringing in a new offensive-minded coach too, and Tyreek Hill, uh, maybe maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that uh, that these guys are going to get better.
5: It's going to be an in- it's going to be interesting to watch. Pat, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. All right. Hey you too guys. Thanks. Patrick Finley, of course, covering the Bears in the NFL for the Chicago Sun Times, joining us on six seventy The Score. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. I want to talk bears just a little bit more, and I want to play somewhat of like a a dating game. But All right. but but but, but with, where are we going? Right. But Justin Fields is the guy who we're trying to to match up. Oh, okay. And That's I'm. i somewhere nice. Yeah. You know, you still owe me uh, dinner after this Big Ten contract just came out. So <laughs> man, I don't want to hear anything about that. But but Justin Fields is the guy who is who is uh, we're trying to hook up. And and the question is, who's going to be his best pairing? from the Chicago Bears currently. Okay. I'm going to ask Ant that question, and then you guys can chime in as well. We'll do that on the other side. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
3: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and
1: Odyssey Station.
5: We are live and local with the ability to talk about our favorite teams, despite how bad they may play. Isn't that something? You love, it's like, oh, I'm so Chicago, Chicago bears all day. And then they just crush your soul. And, but you still love them. It's the most toxic relationship you could possibly be a part of. Ah, That's a good word for it. But you love it. We love it anyway. We are equally as toxic, the fan base, because we, we, (laughs) we, we, we allow it to happen to us. And, and and so, so that's why, you know what, something else is toxic. That's why, that's why we're talking about relationships right now. And the relationship I'm trying to, to hook up is, is more like a, Like a, we should do it like in a dating kind of a way. Mm. Oh, look at that! I love this, ladies and gentlemen. It's best match, (laughs) best match. (laughs) we're trying to pair up. Playing the fields, fields. how about that? I love that. See, I knew it come quick enough. (laughs) Playing the fields. We're gonna try to link Justin up, and, and I'm curious who we feel like is the best match for Justin Fields this upcoming season. Who do we want him to have the best chemistry with? And I think that's important because you got to have a guy. Now, granted, some feel as though he has his number one chick in Darnell Mooney. But as you know, and or maybe you did back in the day, there's always a couple side chicks lingering trying to take your spot.
4: I was gonna say you might have to define side chick for me. I'm not familiar nah. with this. What's a side chick, by yeah. the way? You know, I, I don't know if, uh,
5: UrbanDictionary.com.
4: <laughs> I don't know if you went to Esposa, you know if that's something you guys are familiar <laughs> exactly. with. I'm not, you know, no judgment. I hear but. you, bro. So here's what I'm gonna do.
5: I'm gonna give you some stats, just stats, no names, and then I would like for you to pick which of the eligible I'm bachelors Sposa out there, by the way. Yeah, I do. You know, hey, I know you're bilingual. To, I know you can order tacos at the Mexican restaurant.
4: Man, remind me to tell you my Mia Sposa story, by the way. Oh, <laughs> no. So, dude, we were out of the country, man. I got to tell you about it sometime. All right. About that grass. We'll put a pin in that one for another time.
5: All right, so here are the stat lines of, We're gonna, I'm going to give you four gentlemen, and I want you to eliminate one immediately, okay? Right. And it's going to be simply based off of height and weight.
4: Ooh, okay. No positions,
5: because I don't want you to know who these people are. All right. just the best so, Yeah. So. 6'24". First First one. 5'11", first one, 175. That's contestant number one. 5'11", 175. Contestant number two. Six foot six.
4: 262 pounds. Okay. All right. Look at you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now we talking. I'm in. <laughs> all right. The next one, number
5: three. You're in three. all the right place. 5'10", 222. Huh. 5'10", 222. Hmm. And then last but not least, 6'5", 214 pounds. 6'5", huh. 214 Okay. So I can go over it quickly again. You got 5'11", 175, 6'6", right. 6, 6, 262. You got 5'10", 212, and then 6'4". Right? Was that right? 6'4". Yeah, what'd you say? 6'4",
4: 215? 6'5",
5: 214. There you go. Okay. All right. Who are we eliminating just off the, the, the measurables on our game, playing the fields, trying to match up Justin Fields, with the perfect compliment. The guy you should have the most chemistry with. Who are we eliminating from the beginning?
4: Um, I'm going to say eliminate eliminate the last one. Eliminate like, you know, 6'5", 2'15". Yeah. You, you just
5: eliminated it's... Equinemius St. Brown. Okay. Someone, okay. A, a big target. There's no uh-huh. one to kill Harry. We would have maybe liked to see him advance a bit, maybe take his game to the next level with right. Justin Fields, maybe build that chemistry so he can be that, that big, tall target. But we eliminated you. Height is not a factor in this game of playing the fields. Out of here. So our Gone. three contestants that we do have left, Darnell Mooney, 5'11", 175. Mm-hmm. Cole Komet, 6'6", 262. Strong. And David Montgomery, 5'10", 222. So of those three anthony Herron. all right when you're looking at let's eliminate one position let's eliminate one position because there's you have three separate here so of these three who do you feel like is uh, positions not the players the positions is the least appealing and and the one you feel like would have the least amount of chemistry with justin fields
4: unfortunately and oddly enough I'll say tight end, and this is partly going back to even Mm. when Justin Fields was in college. He would deliver the football to the tight ends at Ohio State, but not nearly at the rate. And part of this is just the Ryan Day offense as well, but not nearly at the rate that he would to the receivers and even to the running backs, and that's pretty much continued in his NFL career. It's not like the tight ends get no targets, no catches, but I used that term big game hunter a little bit earlier, and he doesn't tend to play with tight ends who – who apply to that big game scenario, who apply to that chunk yardage scenario. And Cole Komet certainly hasn't proven himself to be that here yet in Chicago either. So if I'm eliminating any one spot out of those three, I mean, you know, and even factoring in the specific personnel that we know about, you know, what's there too. Yeah, Darnell Mooney would would outrank Cole Komet as far as a weapon. And so would David Montgomery. So Cole Komet, Really ranks third on that list regardless. But even just looking at the sheer position that matches up with the way Justin Fields plays the game right now, I would say I would put tight end at three on that list when you're comparing it to receiver and running back. I love it. That's what we. That's what the purpose of this game is,
5: okay. playing the fields, as yeah. Anthony Heron so smoothly dubbed it. <laughs> we're trying to see where the chemistry lies. Where should it lie the most? Who should, who uh-huh. should, who should Justin Fields be partnered up with? And we're left with two, and that's Darnell Mooney and David Montgomery. I will tell you this. David Montgomery, last year, only 42
4: receptions. Is that only, or is that like... No, that's a, that's a good number. That's, that's a good, a good number, number for a running back. You know what I mean? It's not it's not like Matt, Matt, Matt Forte, you sure. know, Pro Bowl year type numbers, right. but you know, it was a very, very paltry passing attack last, last season that the Bears had. Last year in the
5: NFL, that ranks 16th. 16th in the NFL.
4: Mm. Amongst running backs. Amongst yeah. running backs. Thank you very uh, much for clearing
5: that up. Amongst uh, running backs. I got so I, so then the question then comes, as we're trying to crown a champion here, mm. in, on playing the fields, <laughs> Darnell Mooney last year had 81 receptions. So I guess the question to you then, Ant, is if we're talking about who we would want this chemistry to exist between at the highest level, if you're already talking about the chemistry that he has with the 81 receptions for a thousand yards, that's that's pretty good. I don't right. know. If, I don't know if I necessarily need slash want that to be that much, you know, better. But I but I feel like the need and desire for David Montgomery's receptions to go up for him to go from 16th to maybe top five, which he can be. Mm-hmm. I think that we. So you know what? My vote is going for David Montgomery. I think in our game playing with the, playing the fields, I would want. In terms of the passing game, the chemistry between Dave Montgomery and Justin Fields to supersede that of Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields, what do you say?
4: I think you're right on point, man. I, I completely agree because you look at the the system that Luke Getze cut his teeth in, that they came from in Green Bay, which is essentially kind of the, the Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur type of guidance that he had with the Packers. And the way that they target the running backs within that offense It's a huge part of how they operate to make sure that the running backs are getting catches. You know, for a couple of years now, Aaron Jones has been around that 50-grab plateau. A.J. Dillon hasn't really been too far behind him in in receptions when he's been healthy. Jamal Williams had a bunch of catches a couple of years ago uh, before A.J. Dillon became a bigger part of the Green Bay offense. So the running back is going to be targeted in the passing game. That's why I was highlighting coming off of that first preseason game because we know – David Montgomery can handle all aspects of the offense. I was talking to to Dan and Lawrence about that today. But who else can do that? Khalil Herbert has to improve as a pass receiver within the way this offense is designed to operate in Luke Getz's system. He's got to improve as a pass receiver and a pass protector. I've seen some signs, especially even comparing preseason game one to preseason game two. He had the drop. In preseason game one, had a couple of nice grabs in preseason game two and stuck his nose in there in protection a little bit better in preseason game two. Still inconsistent, still out there looking around, sifting through traffic a little bit. But overall, you're at least seeing his willingness to try to get better in those areas. Treston Ebner, even though he had to leave the field with the injury, but he's already a more effective pass receiver, pass protection. He's no better than Khalil Herbert right now. So that's going to be an issue for the Bears because right now, beyond David Montgomery, You don't have backs who are well-rounded, who are all-purpose at the moment. And whether it's Herbert or Ebner or both of them, they have to get better in those other aspects of the offense to really be what Luke Getze and what Justin Fields needs them to be. That's
5: why it's called playing the fields. Oh, yeah. David Montgomery, your guy, only 300 yards last year. I'd love to see that number go up. Mm -hmm. His longest reception last year, 16 yards, not one touchdown the entire season in 13 games. If you could just elevate those numbers a little bit, it'll help out what Justin Fields is trying to do as a whole. So I think he should invest in that relationship, And Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I agree, man. I like it. Play I love it. Field. I know. I like that, too. All right, so we got more Bears stuff on the way because, of course, we are live and local, but we do get an opportunity to talk some baseball on the other side. The Cubs obviously winning their fourth straight game. We'll take a look at that and then some more of uh, football stuff on the other side. I'm Gabriel Ramirez. It's Anthony Herring. We'll be back after this. It's 670
2: to score.
3: This Chicago-Milwaukee series is brought to you by Woodman's Food
2: Markets. With the largest grocery selection in the state, you haven't grocery shopped if you
3: haven't shopped at Woodman's.
0: When I tried ordering everything online, my home renovation project fell apart. Thankfully, I found Studio 41. They guided me through the selection process and made sure I had what I needed for every step of the project. Visit ShopStudio41.com for a location near you. Technology lets autonomous vacuums work around the house. Ow, that's my toe. But when your team has to work seamlessly around the world, you need more than technology.
3: You need CDW, who can help transform your organization with Lenovo Thinkpads pre-configured for management flexibility with the Intel Evo platform. Responsive collaboration tools give your team effortless connectivity to stay focused wherever they work. That's it. Go to your charging station. Lenovo makes seamless productivity possible. CDW makes it powerful. Learn more at cdw.com slash lenovoclient. At Bucy Bank, we're proud to connect communities through financial outreach and economic opportunity. Building a stronger, more vibrant
2: community, Bucy offers tools and resources to individuals, families, and business owners to achieve financial success. Building strong financial futures, one family, one street, one city at a time. Bucy Bank, member FDIC. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini.
0: Hey, Jim. Thanks for coming.
2: Are you kidding? I never miss one of your dinner parties.
3: How's the new job?
0: Somehow we're doing great. And I stopped working weekends. Thanks to how smooth everything runs on NetSuite by Oracle.
3: Fantastic. Uh, We're still
2: using QuickBooks.
0: Why haven't you upgraded to NetSuite? Uh, We're
2: making QuickBooks work startup.
0: Shh, watch your language the kids are right there Sorry Amy NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials inventory HR planning budgeting and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. And 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control since upgrading from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Yeah, sounds like it's time for me to switch to NetSuite.
2: Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And for a limited time, NetSuite has extended their one-of-a-kind financing program offer to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com play. That's to netsuite.com play for this extended special financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. netsuite.com play. Hey, it's Mully and Haw here for our friends at Window
6: Nation. Back to school time is here and Window Nation can help you get an A-plus in savings. Right now, get two free windows for every two you buy and pay nothing until 2025. That's like free scholarship money. Use it toward your kids' school supplies or treat yourself because your Window Nation savings will keep on coming.
2: As temperatures soar, so do your energy bills with old inefficient windows. Stay cool. Lower those bills and raise the value of your home with new energy star efficient windows. Window Nation has expertly installed over a million Windows
6: rewarding and increasing value in over 150,000 homes, all with over 96% needing no follow-up service. That's an A plus. Now it's your turn to make the smart choice and go to the head of the class. Get two free windows with every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. There's no limit at all. Plus, make no down payment, no payments, and no interest until 2025. You'll
2: save big during window nation's back to school sale.
6: Call today, 866-90 Nation or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90 Nation or WindowNation.com. Tell
2: them. Billy and, Billy and Lauren here with the Diamond Air in St. Charles.
4: Gentlemen, does this conversation sound familiar?
2: Happy anniversary, darling. <laughs> A new juicer. This sucks. Ouch. But hey, don't feel bad, fellas. Even I've made this same mistake. <laughs>
4: no, Billy. Your gift was worse a plastic clothes hamper.
2: Will I never live that one down? There's still time, Billy. Well, you know, thoughtful gifts such as natural diamond earrings is a heck of a lot easier than sleeping on the couch. And hey, unlike most everything else in this brave new world we live in, at the Diamond Air, we hand make our fine diamond jewelry here in the United States. So our prices have remained consistent and competitive.
4: And luckily for all you expecting daddies out there, we now offer interest-free financing for push gifts as well. In that case, babe, you know, I think I can make
2: up for that hamper. Picture this, Lauren, you in a diamond tennis necklace and nothing at all. (laughs) We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?